0: Hey, my name is Alex and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, before we get this show started, in earnest, I wanted to mention a couple things. First, I am on Threads and I am at Alex Holt Cohan over there because it only lets you work with one Instagram account and I wanted to work with my personal one for various reasons. So definitely go follow me over on Threads if you want to hear... Like daily musings from me about anime and all that, and all the junk I talk about on here. But definitely go check that out. I will lead. I will leave a link to my threads profile in the description. You can also find in the description links to the Instagram page and the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel is where all of the video versions of the Sunday editions go because I wanted to start doing them as video, di- as video versions because I wanted to start doing some kind of video component to this and video podcasts aren't really a thing super a whole lot anymore as much as Spotify might want them to be Sorry, Spotify Another day is here and you're ready for it What to wear? Check Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help of me revisiting jujutsu kaisen literally it came that episode came out the day of the first episode of the second season of jujutsu kaisen which if you have not seen that first episode it's a pretty good first episode definitely go check that out over on crunchyroll but so yeah so definitely go check out that episode and as always, you can find those links to where I am all over the internet in the description of the podcast. But now I want to get to what we're here to talk about, and that's a little show with a big episode that premiered in 2023, in April of 2023, no less, on on Kie's birthday in April 2023. Hi, KiA I'll, I'll see you in December. Um, actually, I'll see you in January. <laughs> I won't. I'll be there in December, but I won't see you until January. We already talked about that. But that show is a once again a little show with a big first episode called Oshi No Ko. Anime considered. Lunchbox, Radio. Now, if you don't, if you happen to not watch Oshi no yet, first off, I encourage you to. It's it's a masterclass on a lot of things. Definitely going to touch on them here. But it... It has a steep... It has a steep entry price compared to most other shows. Although most other shows are starting to do this for their first and last episodes, They are, like, for example, Demon Slayer. The most recent arc of Demon Slayer did this. They did an hour opening episode and they did an hour closing episode. Or, like, a 45-minute closing episode. And... Those are both good and bad. First, they're good because they give they give an amount of time that most shows don't take to estab- to establish at the very least the episode story and ha- and the episode's slice of the world. And just more time means more means you have more time to play with in terms of what you're showing the audience, what you're giving the audience to grab onto. In this case, Oshinoko's first episode was, I think, 90 minutes. So it was like a three-episode... It was essentially a movie of of an opening episode... Of an opening of a first episode. And that meant that they could basically tell the entire... How do I want to put this? They could tell the entire setup of the story proper... In one chunk. And... In other shows... They would have spread that out over three episodes, maybe. Maybe they would have spread it out over six. But in this show, they wanted to, they, they saw the importance of telling this story in its entirety in one sitting. And I think that's good for several reasons. first i think it's good because you have this you have this story that they're doing the work to layer stuff into so you start to understand pretty quickly why the show is why the character what drives each character in each way and the first character you meet is this is a doctor who the doctor's name, but it is it is this doctor is I think his name is doctor is Guru Amiya. It is is Guru Amiya. And Guru is very clearly an idol an idol otaku. He's like an idol Otaku to the point of being being an appropriate work. And he he is a he is a probably well trained well respected get to why you kind of know that in universe medical doctor and he worked but he worked in a hospital that he did that he did his residency at which means that he started his career at this hospital and he stayed at this hospital since and this hospital is in like an out of the way prefecture in probably far out from Tokyo but still close enough where you can get to it but and they don't I don't believe I don't believe they mention what prefecture it is, but it's not really important for the point of this story. You just need to know that it's kind of out in the sticks. And it opens on him being like a gross idol otaku. and and the first in that first shot, you think, oh, he's like, in his bedroom, or in his apartment, or something? No, he's in a he's in a patient room. He's in a patient room in a hospital. Like he is in a public place, going weird about an idol concert video, and going weird about this idol concert video for this idol, for specifically for this for this idol named uh, named Ai Hoshino and Iho Shino is part of an idol group i forget the idol group name but it's like it's like it's like it's like b it's like b coma or something a komi sama b and the the nurse is all rag on him particularly another nurse it's, the nurse like pushes him and pushes him to the point where he's not... And he steadfastly doesn't tell them why he's so into this idol. But it turns out that he's into this, this idol because he was a... He's a general... He, he seems to be, if you know the world of doctors, a general medicine doctor, which means that he knows kind of how to do a lot of things. But he's just kind of generally in charge of like people's regimens. And one person one such person who he was in charge of was this teen was this young, like preteen, like maybe like 14, 15 year old girl I think fourteen-year-old girl, they specifically say fourteen, named Sarina n- named Sarina. And Sarina is a brain cancer patient. Now I know I've talked a lot about being disabled on this podcast and, like, being physically disabled. The reason I'm physically disabled is because I, as a very young child, went two rounds in the ring with brain cancer. I am obviously still alive. I've had two rounds of chemo. I've had two removal surgeries, one to remove it the first time, the other to remove it the second time, and then five cleanup surgeries. (laughs) And I woke up blind from one of them i have I've done my my body's experienced things like waking up blind. my body has experienced things like waking like dying on the table I, I I have I've had the full arc of medical experiences with cancer treatment, believe me about the only thing that I hadn't had the two things that I have notably not had in my cancer journey were, Radiation, because radiation fucks you up, y'all. Like, br- radiation is not always necessary, but lots of times it's suggested because they want to make super sure the cancer's dead. I was a child, so my mother... And my mother was like, no, we're not putting this child through radiation like that. That'll fuck him up more. He he don't need that shit, so we didn't. And it turned out to be a good idea. <laughs> um, and... The other thing I haven't had is morphine, of course, um, which is really, really funny because in cancer camp, yes, I went to cancer camp, yes, a cancer camp exists with only children and oftentimes adults. Like, the counselors are also cancer survivors who are cancer survivors. But I, they always, lots of people would tell stories about morphine and stories about treatment. I'm like, first off, don't have any stories about morphine. Did not get morphine. Got some pretty good pain drugs, not morphine. Second off, you don't want to hear my stories. And they're like, why? I'm like, because they're not fun. They're just not fun. They are like, you are, by the end, you will be truly surprised <laughs> that I am still alive. And there were, there was at least, there was one nurse who was definitely my nurse during chemo. And there was at least another nurse who was, my nurse when I was closer to being an infant and like campers would look towards them like, do we wanna know? And they'd just, just like nod their head, like, no, you, you're you not ready for that smoke. Just don't, just don't ask it. Like be happy that he likes your stories. Don't ask him for his. It's bad. It's like, w- look at him. He got treated in the eighties and he's still alive. Do you think it went well? <laughs> Although, obviously, it did. I'm still kicking. I'm still super kicking. Um, I'm, like, dozens of years... I'm, like, over ten years in remission at this point. So, that that's always good. But, this char- this, the character, sorry now, was a brain cancer patient. And, they, they have this really poignant conversation. And, they show, they show you just enough of her, at first, for you to understand, like, oh... This is sad. Like, they they show you enough to make you sad, not enough for you to get attached to her immediately. And you see Sarina, and you realize that she dies. She just dies. And after Goro had said, like, had had a whole conversation with her where he said, like, you're going to get better. And because she was like, she clearly had a crush on her doctor, which is not uncommon, I'm sure. And she was like, what if we got married? And he's like, so I think I would be a pariah because you're 14. But when you're older, maybe I can think about it. As just like a playful, like, pass it off, pa- like, pass the buck. Like, this this hor- this hormonal kid who is like, basically confined to their bed and can't do much of anything physically because her cancer and the treatment to her cancer has been so fucking rough on her body, he, you know, he entertains the thought because, you know, that that's part of being a good healthcare person. And you see that he... And even the nurses in, like, the... In the present day of the show at the beginning of... ...of the beginning of the first episode... ...is... ...are... ...they really understand that he's a good doctor. Like, he's a fucking weirdo... ...but he's a good doctor. And you find out pretty quickly that... ...this young girl... ...is a fan... ...was the fan... ...was the fan... ...who, like... ...made... ...Goro... ...pay attention to... Ai Hoshino. And the way she talks about... Ai Hoshino it's like it's like she aspires to give Iho she looks to Ai Hoshino like a saint. Because in this girl's mind, and I, I can certainly understand this Ai Hoshino can do what, can do what this girl can't. This girl is so emaciated by disease and the treatment for that disease that she can't she kind of she almost can't walk without a walker. she is largely disabled and confined to her bed and like the joy the joy of her life is watching concerts on TV and concert videos that like her parents bring her and as somebody who has as somebody who has sat in the barca lounger for chemo, I get that shit actually I don't think i. I didn't sit in the Barca Lounger for chemo. I sat in the. I think I sat in the Barca Lounger to recover from chemo. I sat in the. When I I had to like go into an exam room to get chemo, and you know, occasionally puke in a tin. Um, <laughs> but there was a there was a VHS tape of that movie of that Robin Williams movie Hook. That I must by the end of that by the end of my second round when i was in, when I was like in grade school when i was 7 they just gave me that tape they put my name on it and they gave it to me because it was mine it was it was no one else's in that entire hospital like they it had been donated from to them and it was now mine because i watched it every single time i was in the hospital because it was probably because it was such an escape and it was su- it was such an acknowledgement of escaping, and that helped, I'm sure, as a ki- when I was a kid. And I- she has that same relationship with this vision of I Hoshino that she has in her head, and so that's the setup you have for why Goro is such an idol otaku. It's something he inherited. And this is not uncommon, you know. Uh, one of the nurses I went, I, she didn't name the kid after me. Thank God that would freak me out. She named she named her kid after one of the patients she had, somebody I knew actually. And this is actually something that they that comes across really well in. ...on that show that you can actually go watch on Netflix right now... there's immensely... there's almost as emotionally manipulative as this show... ...called... ...what's it called? Called New Amsterdam... ...in that... ...cancer patients seem... ...in many ways saintly to other people. They seem... ...I imagine... ...meeting a... ...person who is actively going through a cancer... ...diagnosis can seem a little like you're meeting the Buddha. And I'll explain that. What I mean by that is, it, you can't conceive of what they have to conceive of, of what they realize about the world, of what they realize about their own lives, of how they're living their own lives. Because in all, in all cases of cancer patients, if left untreated, that cancer will kill them. Or could kill them how quick or how slow is variable, but it could kill them. But even when treated, can't every form of cancer has a survival rate. Every individual who has cancer gets a number of how likely they are to survive. My number, in particular, and I'm not kidding here, was... I had a one percent survival rate. Straight up, I'm not even kidding, and that was driven home when I was probably about fifteen ish, when I was in my early teens, and I I didn't know this, but I was put into a study group with one with ninety nine other, meaning a hundred in total, childhood cancer survivors who who got their who. Had their initial diagnosis in early childhood, which usually means between zero and two i was I was fifteen months, I'm sure the other kids were in the same boat by the time they got to do that test. I went into the city by the time they got to do the final questionnaire. I went into the city and they had planned for an entire week they were leaving they were leaving after a day they were leaving after a few hours. Because the only test they had to do was mine. I was the only one left alive. So I'm seriously not kidding when I say that, like, you get a number. And sometimes that number's bad. And if you're really lucky, you still survive. The, the joke in my family is I only have enough luck left to have really good aim and be really good at blackjack. <laughs> But, and it's, it. everybody's like, maybe the aim is straight up skill. We're not sure. But the long and short of it is, Serena was not, did not live. And you, and like I said, even even doctors are not immune to that kind of viewing of cancer patients, especially when they're in treatment, when they are, When they're in treatment, when they're forced to be sitting there ruminating on their lives as they sit in a bark lounger and literal poison is pumped into them, because that's that's what chemo is. Chemo is targeted is loosely targeted targeted poison. The reason is that you can't just generally know what a chemo drug, what drug cocktail your chemo is because it's toxic sludge no way to put it. Anything that makes you that you get injected into your chest, into a special quarter-sized device that they stick in your chest. I have two scars of my, I have three scars of my body because I three different ports. And they put it in there and it comes out into your body and then you. there's a taste? That can't be normal. That can't not be toxic sludge. But Those kinds of patients leave impressions on people, even if they, even if, even if they survive. I mean, I, like I said, there were there were nurses. There are nurses probably still in Camp Happy Times, the cancer camp that I went to, until I was maybe seventeen. Who just knew me? Who just knew me and had memories of like taking care of me as a child? Just straight up, I not I remember them from them being a counselor for many years, but I didn't necessarily remember them from when like I was spinal tapped seven times because the intern was a moron. And the and so like that those memories stay with you like because it, oftentimes and oftentimes they're, they're, they get more vivid when the person disappears, when the person dies. And you get the strong sense that Goro's attachment to Ai Hoshino is, a, is really his attachment to honoring the, this patient he couldn't save. This, this young girl who should have had a lot more life, who should have been able to live for a lot longer than she did. And he, so he moves on from that. He gains this idol obsession because it's a way, it's a way for him to, it's a way for him not just to be a total weirdo about an idol, which he certainly is, but also to kind of celebrate the person who he remembers who truly loved this person, whatever she was. And by she, I mean Ai Hoshino. And a few years pass, and he's just like, he's just like hanging, he's like hanging out, just kind of doing through life, and he gets a patient. The patient turns out to be Ai Hoshino. Now, the public only knows her as I. They don't give out her last name. Oftentimes, they don't give out real names for idols anyway, I'm sure, at this point, because of the kind of stalker culture that can accompany that. But he gets her as a patient because she's pregnant. And this is where the show's... This is where one of the show's thesis is especially with i becomes true they start talking about and they talk about this from the minute go too they start talking about the fact that like idol culture is built on lies the the fact that these idols are idols to their fans is a lie it they they can't be the shining beacons that everyone makes them out to be they're humans you know, they want to have sex. They want they want to have a boyfriend. They want to have girlfriends as their male idols. They want. They, maybe they want a family. And if you've if you've been following Japanese entertainment news for any amount of time, you know that like when an idol, you know, there's a process for idols where they quote unquote graduate. That essentially means their label drops them and they're kicked out of the group. Sometimes this means that they've you know found somebody found a significant other and it got out. Sometimes it means that they're pregnant, sometimes it means that they like got caught on tape having sex. Any number of things. But that's just the stuff you see. That's just the stuff you realize. You don't there's so much stuff that you probably don't see that you don't that you don't realize. And I Hoshino prides herself in being a masterful liar. She prides and she directly talks about uh, later on in that ep- in the first episode, once again, it's 90 minutes, it's basically three episodes, how she calculates like the angle of her head, the like curve of her lips in the corners of her mouth, the like thinness of her eyes when she smiles to be calculated, to be as appealing as possible to all of the fans watching her. And you find out pretty quickly that she wants to have what she thinks is a baby. And what she realizes is twins. And she, and you start to realize that, yes, she wants to be an idol. Yes, she wants to be a successful idol. That is the thing she wants. And she was scouted by her manager, a guy who ends up kind of being a shitbag. But, she, but ev- everybody who talks about her in the entire series says she has something. She has she has the it quality that many that not many people have, not even many idols have. It's like a one in a million thing. It and her her manager, Ichigo Saito, is like willing to is willing to allow her to have this kid because he sees in her this, this idol who is known to come from a broken home. Who is known to come from a background that is from from a from a orphanage. She was orphaned from a young age, but not so young that she doesn't understand what happened. She completely understands that she doesn't know who her father is and her mother Straight up went to prison, and when her mother got out of prison, did not choose to bring to go back to bring her back into her life. It's, it's, it's understandable that I's a little fucked up, just straight up. It's just understandable, and she a becomes an idol. You find out later because she wants. She wants to be able to lie to people and say that, they, that she loves them. But she also wants a family and she wants a family and she wants a family on her own terms and she wants she wants ch- specifically children who she can say that she loves. And she's not sure as a person how to do that because of the kind of broken that she just is. And there's no way around it. She, she, it, she has real p s d and real emotional scarring around a familial relationship with anyone and you see it in her like disregard for remembering people's names at the beginning and like her she has a distance from people in the even the people who are close to her, like even her manager, who you realize isn't just her manager now, has always been her manager since she started, like, years ago. And she keeps him at arm's length. And it's, it's this... It's clearly this defensive thing that she, that she has for... For her own protection. And... Once she has these kids, A, they... Past this point is when the real kind of, like, humor that this series is capable of gets, gets introduced, because this is... The thing with a lot of dramatic shows where oftentimes they can... They forget to use humor. They forget to just be funny. And the reason why you want humor in any kind of drama is because they have a kind of there's a weight to them that can't that can't that they can't be overcome just by them like it, it can be a seriously great drama and it's not it's not a thing that they that it's possible for them to be It's not, it's like that, but that, that weight on the, on the viewer, on the viewing public can't be overcome with just more drama. So you need some humor to kind of get around it in a way. And it, the humor starts first with the, with the birth of her kids and the way she names them. She names one Ruby, which is. Okay, a little weird, but okay. And then she named another one Aquamarine. Like, she straight up is celebrity naming her kids. It like, full-on Gwyneth Paltrow, full-on, like, Moon Zappa kind of bullshit. And it's, it's, it's just... It's a recognition of that cultural thing that I really appreciate. It's because... And you find out that... That Goro actually died on the way to delivering her kids. And the entire time the show is kind of dropping hints as to what's about to happen, and it's dropping hints for the entire first episode about what's ha- about to happen, and you realize that Goro is reincarnated as Aquamarine, or as the show promptly called him Aqua. Like, nobody called him Aquamarine. Everybody. People probably know that his full name is Aquamarine, but they're like, no, I'm not calling you that shit. I'm calling you Aqua, and it will be fine. (laughs) And so now he's this baby. So now Goro is basically this baby who's named Aqua who has the mind of a 30-something, who's the mind of an adult, or 30 or late 20-something. I think they specifically say, like, 30-something but unbeknownst unbeknown to him at first and then but very quickly he realizes it his twin sister Ruby is also somebody who's reincarnated it's also a reincarnated person and they they have a great style trick that they do to let you know that these two are like not like their mother in that I Hoshino has like the big sheets of character with the purple and with the purple hair with the pink streaks and these big Star eyes, and the, and later on in the show, they kind of confirm that those like those giant stars in her eyes are this physical representation of her star power, and are and are and are a thing that other that in the case of the show there's this one actress named Akane, who can like imitate that kind of vibe, that that personality so well, that she get, like, her her eyes gain those stars when she does that, when she puts on that act. And it's, it, like, it, at that point in the show, it freaks the fuck out of Aqua because it, this is a really interesting reincarnation thing. It's not... All at once, both of these reincarnated children who are represented by, as being reincarnated by having one eye with a star in it and one eye that's just normal or as normal as this show's eyes ever get because all, all of the eyes in this show are wildly elaborate. <laughs> wildly elaborate. Off the charts. It's kind of great. But the... At the, at the point in the show where this happens to Aqua and I'll get to that Later, it catches him so off guard because the way they've set this up, yes, Aqua is a new person, and yet, but yes, he's got the soul and memories of a person he used to be. And that's the way they describe it. It's not like he's not Aqua, it's like he's got past memories. He was like, it's almost like a half reincarnation thing. Where, like, he is... He knows full well. He, he carried over all of his... he over. It's like a roguelike where you carry all your previous skills over from the last run. And... He... Just... But... Before that. So, they, they have these... They have, like, a star in one, in one eye each. And... Ruby never doesn't ever say it at least by the end of the first season, to him directly. But Ruby is straight up. The girl who died was can't died of cancer. Serena, I believe her name was. And she is um yeah Serena, and a lot of Ruby's driving. Drive. In this show is about the fact that, in her, pe- in her previous life, she couldn't be an idol. She couldn't do the thing that gave her so much joy to watch. All she could do was sit on the sidelines and watch someone else do it. But now she has a body that's cancer free, that's completely able. It's it. There's a freeing once she realizes that she can do this. Once she gets her, like... Once she gets her greasy grippers, which is a great phrase for her in particular, around it, she kind of never wants to let go. And she becomes determined in a way that even her idol and her mother wasn't. Because she... It means something to her on a personal level that it couldn't to other people. It's... It's the equivalent of if I could clap with two hands. It's the, it's, it's the equivalent of... And, and for a record, part of my disability is I can't use my left hand. So when I clap, I usually clap against my thigh or something. But it's this... It's this understanding of... A person who is disabled gets a body that's not... And they do, and they end up understanding they can do what they want with this body. As she says in the show, "My body, my body, listens to me now," and that's a huge deal. And one of the other things that this show does a pretty good job at is they show. So both, both sides of the fandom. And what I mean by that is... When Goro is... When Goro dies... He is essentially pushed off a cliff by a stalker... Who's trying to get at I, Who by the end of the first episode does get at I, And that... And... But also you see... You see the kind of fan that Goro is... And you see the kind of fan that... Sarina is... And they are both deeply devoted fans. Sarina is way less creepy about it because pe- people can understand the outward motivation of why she, like, pours her soul into this idol who she'd never met. And once you, the viewer, understand why Goro is, like, so attached to this idol, you get it. You understand it. You understand... That like there's a misunderstanding about fan by people by people who are not such dot da- who don't have it in them to be such diehard fans of things they who don't understand what the or do people who are even less or even slightly less big fans of stuff they. They fail to understand the link between a fan and the thing they're a fan of. And it doesn't, it doesn't track for a lot of people that they're, that they're, that people can be such so fanatical about the things they love. But oftentimes the reason why people are that fanatical about anything we love is that they just they saw, they saw something in that that spoke to them. People who are immense fans actually a great example is lots of disabled people, including me, are immense fans of the cyberpunk genre, lots of trans people, lots of You know people people of some kind of otherness are fans of the cyberpunk genre and the reason why we're fans of that genre is really simple when you state it out loud but so few people do because to us it's obvious but the reason why we're fans of that genre is because it proposes a world in which my body does not work so I can just get a new body I can buy a new body Sure, there's all kinds of barriers, money, status, blah, 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 blah. That's a lot of what cyberpunk explores, actually. But the core idea of being able to upgrade out of a broken body is phenomenal. It's incredible. It's worth the world for people who have bodies that can't on some level. And I and I, I don't... I include myself in that. I, w- I mean, like, I would love a body where both arms work and, like, I didn't have to wear a brace and, you know, I didn't drool sometimes, all that stuff. But I more mean it for, like, people who are wheelchair-bound, people who are amputees, people who have multiple sclerosis and seizures all the time. That would be a huge deal for them. So, of course, when the idea of ghosts in the shell is floated. They're like, absolutely. Fuck this husk. <laughs> and, but, first off, Goro doesn't know that his sister is Serena. He know, but he does figure out pretty quickly that his sister also it, has been reincarnated into the, it's somebody who's been reincarnated into this baby. And they recognize it in each other, and they just kind of understand it. And for the rest of the first F of that 90 minutes, they spend mostly avoiding tipping people off. that They're like adults running around in baby bodies. <laughs> and they make jokes like, Goro aka Aqua I'm going to call him Aqua from now on Aqua just straight up refuses to breastfeed just doesn't want to because it's creepy as fuck because he is essentially a grown man placed in a baby body and he's just like this feels morally fucked nope and (laughs) Saren who was a girl aka Ruby is like "I'm, I'm going for it motherfucker I was a girl who gives a shit? There's no lines here. No one will ever find out. It's fine. And he gives her this look. And she's just like, what, motherfucker? She offers every time. And if you freak out, you go get your bottle. You absolute weirdo. You're the one making this weird. You in the audience. I'm not the sicko but what this does later on in the show with the with with Goro's like being reincarnated into Aqua is it shows the kind of subjectiveness of adulthood because uh, um, early on in when, when they're still kids in the first in the first 90 minutes when they're still kids because the first 90 minutes are basically their entire childhood with some time skips You meet this character named Taishi. And Taishi is a... He is a... I don't want to say struggling. He's clearly not struggling. He's a successful, but successful on his own... On different terms than you would expect and still needs to work director. And he does things like he directs an episode of a TV show, and that's how you meet him. You you meet him when he's directing this TV show that I Hoshino You know, eventually gets to star in, gets to gets a co-starring, gets a gets a couple, gets a bit part in, basically, gets a recurring role in. And Aqua, aka Goro. Approaches him and like tries to try and manipulate it so I gets a bigger speaking role and doesn't really doesn't really get that off the ground. But Taishi is like this kid is so, but uh, Taishi is like this kid is fucking strange. He is really smart. He is unnervingly smart. Not about the entertainment industry, but that can be taught. But he is unnervingly smart, and he wants to put him in a movie. And he, so he makes a deal with this kid, with, with, with this, with who he can see as this kid, who, in very important at this point, is not recognized as being i's children, because that's the other thing about this, is i has had these kids, and has been keeping these kids a secret, and keep them a secret for, like, almost 10 years, I think. Like, a long time. <laughs> Like an unnervingly long time, and and she says like, "I'm the most amazing idol in the world. Of I am the best liar, straight up. I imagine how good I am if if I would be recognized to be if I could keep kids' fucking secret. If you just didn't know. And she does it for she she does it essentially." And to her, it's not even hard. It's just the things she does, and as a result, those kids are left with her manager's wife, who uh, her manager Ichigo's wife, a woman named Miyako's Miyako Saito. Ichigo Saito is a manager, and there's a joke where the kids convince her that they're gods. That convince her that they're gods when she freaks out and she's like, "I didn't sign up to be a mother." Like. To be a 20-something mother that's... Uh, to be the 20-something house mother of... Of a, like, 16, 17-year-old's... You know... Babies born in the shadows and kept from public eye because... she Because she she doesn't want her career to fall apart. And she freaks out and, like, Aqua and... Aqua and Ruby straight up are like, We are, God, we are entertainment gods. Fuck off. And she freaks out, and initially she believes them, and I think with time, that impression obviously fades, and she just realizes that, like, it was either a psychotic episode or a dream or something, but that's not really important why that was... why that's unexplained. You just realize that she kind of, like, settles into, okay, this is fine, it will be fine. And... To the public, these two kids are Miyako and are Miyako and Ichigo's kids, or er. and so when they, when they show up on set of this television program, everybody's like, oh, they're the producer's wife, they're the manager's wife, they're the manager's wife's kids, and the manager's wife works helps to like manage. Helps to manage I as a talent, so it's fine. It's not ideal, but it's fine. It that kind of stuff happens straight up. Like I've been in the back of fashion shows because I've had pa- my my parent worked in fashion. Like it, it just shit happens. It's just how it goes. Especially in the entertainment art world. Like, eventually a kid shows up in an art studio and everybody's like, ah, whose kid is this? And somebody was like, "Ah, oh, mine. And they're like, oh, okay, cool, whatever. You want candy? You want fireworks? You want a knife? Oh. <laughs> but... I... Taishi recognizes something in, in Aqua. He recognizes... This quality in Aqua of being able to be, not necessarily a great actor, but a unnerving presence on screen, and the show goes on to explain that basically the thing that makes Aqua a not just a halfway decent actor, but a really good one, is that he spent so long at the doctor and not just any doctor and a good doctor that he can. Recognize people's intentions in their cues. He can read people's social cues and he can respond to them and like push them in different directions and push himself in different directions, however, it needs to go. Because he's used to dealing with patients and like the emotion that dealing with patients brings. You have to like lock it down or let it out accordingly on both, on in both, both for both the patient and yourself. And that that instinct makes him a good actor. And so he starts in this in this show, and this is where you get the character of Kana who is who you meet again later when they're like all t- actual like full-on teenager like 16, 17 year olds. And Kana is like the childhood star, who's like the rising star ch- kid kid, and she's a total piece of shit. And you find out later that she like lo- that her career stalls because she was a total piece of shit for too long. But that's how Aqua gets into get, gets recognized for show business and shortly thereafter the the end of the the end of the first arc of the show or the first episode the 90 minute film thing is that stalker finally finds i and kills her and kills her and she dies in front of aqua and ruby and they are shattered because for both of, for both of them as just children she is their mother for both of them as people been reincarnated into these children she is this beacon of life and of hope and of all these things and now she's gone and she's gone right before she right as she was right as she was about to like go, go stratospheric, go go like escape the escape the orbit of Earth in terms of her stardom, and, and everybody who encounters who talks about uh, I from this point on, it's like yeah, she was incredible. Too bad she didn't live. And it's this. It's this, incre- it's this, it's like, when this episode happened, it knocked Full Metal Alchemist out of first place on my anime list. And that made me initially curious, and then I saw the runtime, and I was like, maybe not, nope. And so I didn't watch it for a long time, but now that I've seen it, and I'm going to talk about more than it, obviously. This is going to be a bit of a longer one. I I know why people like it it commits to its bit very hard. It like and it has real moments of qual- of quality comedy like the babies doing the doing the glow stick dance is is hilarious. Is it's just the funniest shit. And the funny moments in this show aren't don't go so high that it smashes down when it crashes, but like Pump it up and like make you feel good, and like you and like you're kind of riding on this like Bobby wave of slight up, slight down, slight up until it like goes off a cliff. And it through the show doing a really incredible job of creating and using I as. Not just a force of nature or a story point in this show, but as a character. By the end of I's life on this show, you know everything about... You know much of what there is to know about her. You know why she's broken. You know what her real goal was for being an idol. She And she tells you in her dying... She tells the audience in her dying moments, but she... She wanted to be an idol because she wanted to make the lie real. She wanted to lie so convincingly that she would convince herself. And the show makes it very clear that, like, idols are short-lived things. They are treated like models who serve. As soon as they are, as soon as they are, like, a day over 30, it is a struggle. And many idols do not escape the group they started in. They live and die. They're... Fame li- lives and dies in that group. It's especially in an immensely ageist culture like Japan, and the and then the entertainment industry and the fashion industry and the intersections. It it gets it gets bad, and everybody in the show. Once again, when they talk about I, they talk about her with a kind of reverence of. Everyone, at, at the point I died, everyone knew that that was not going to happen to her. She was going to. She was going to. She was going to be the kind. Have the kind of trajectory that somebody like Beyonce has. And the show did a good job of setting that up and it showed you the. It showed you that... And even in... I'm staring at the opening... At the image from the first volume of the manga. Even in that first... Even in that first image where she's making the... Downward facing peace victory signs... With her hand and she's got a tongue sticking out the corner of her mouth. You see this playfulness. This like masterful entertaining quality... That is undeniable. It, It... And it's... It's easier to craft this with a fictional character than it's a real person. But there are real people who have this quality. You know, Beyoncé can turn it on. You know, Rihanna, same thing. Any number of famous performers of Madonna can turn this shit on and off like nobody's business. And if you're like, what... If you, if you want to quantify it, you don't need to look far. Because the, like, next step down isn't far down. It's like Angelina Jolie. Like, Angelina Jolie is great and all, but she's no fucking Madonna. She's no fucking Beyonce. There's a... It's, it, in terms of where they... They may sit at the same table. But the gap between them is a canyon. And you and you see that in you see that in stars like you see that in people's reverence for stars like Kim Kardashian versus stars like Beyoncé. Kim Kardashian is not famous for anything. She's famous for a sex tape years ago. That now haunts her and occasionally shows up on Roblox to tor- to try and torture her and her daughter. Straight up. But she doesn't have, her skills are like business acumen in managing her own brand. And she she does not have the talent of a Beyonce, a you know, a a a a any a Madonna. The, and if you look at celebrity culture, you notice that a lot of celebra- a lot of celebrities like Kim Kardashian want to position themselves close to the music world, close to the art world, close to these close to these worlds of celebrities who are famous. Because they have immense skill, because they have yeah. immense talent. If you look at. Courtney? Courtney Car- uh, Not Courtney. Chloe. Not Chloe. Gotta be Courtney. Courtney, yes. Courtney Kardashian. She married the drummer of Blink 182. Like, she married somebody who is famous for their music, who is famous for a thing they are capable of. Who is, and who is probably world class in many ways at that saying. Kim Kardashian, she married a football player first, she was a sack of hammers. But she married a but she married a, a, somebody who now is a total pariah, but who is still, despite that, considered to be one of the world's best music producers. Considered to be a deeply talented artist and rapper in his own right. Crazy or not. That's why everybody's like, oh, I wish Kanye would 2006 again. Because that was the last time he wasn't totally off his fucking rocker. And people talk about I in that way. And so when she dies, the world kind of loses that. And America is unique in lots of ways, certainly. But we are unique in our entertainment industry as well. Like the kind of like go-getter attitude, the kind of self-starter attitude, forces people to recognize in themselves, what they wouldn't recognize, what many other people just don't want to recognize or don't need to recognize in a culture like Japan. And yes, Japan produces tons of idols, is groups like AKB48 that have literally 48 idols, all with their own fandoms and names and all that shit. But most of the groups are like three, four. They're not that. Ma- they're not that many. And when I died. B Komatsu, the group she's a part of, kind of falls apart because she was she was this not just the center, but she was the thing they were all choosing to believe in. She was the one that like they probably all said like, "I'm gonna retire when I'm thirty. You're gonna retire when you die, and that's gonna be when you're 80. And everybody just like, "Holy shit, she did it!" And after I dies you know, Aqua realizes somebody killed her. So somebody set this up for I to die. Somebody somebody sent somebody sent this person over here to kill I. And the show fucking on its heels shifts like nobody's business. And then you see the modern day. And you see the modern day Aqua and the modern day Ruby and you realize that like Ichigo has straight up vanished, has just disappeared. He, is, he has like full-on PTSD noped out of life in a, in a way that's suspicious considering what the show now is because the show now is a... It's still certainly a critique and examination of, of the Japanese entertainment industry on, on its whole, but it's also a murder mystery. It's a it's a thriller murder mystery. It's Aqua looking for the person who who killed her mother, who killed his mother, who killed him, and Ruby's mother. And he has this attachment to Ruby that everybody describes as a sister complex. But it's, but like Ruby's like Ruby doesn't say anything because they've been moved to to Miyako as they've been moved to. Ishiko Miyako's family registers if they were their kid their real kids and not just their fake kids and Miyako is now straight up their mom just straight up their mom like she understand she fully admits, she's like I will never be your your mother but I am your mom <laughs> I cannot be your mother but I will always be your mom kind of deal and Miyako still runs strawberry productions which is the produ- production studio that I belong to and it's now a studio that manages mostly online streamers which is a great really intelligent touch but it the show has in, has installed this darkness in Aqua that is like unescapable like he is, he is a dark motherfucker and he is like out to find someone and kill them and that makes him a really, really, really good anti-hero because he doesn't do anything because he loves to do it. He does things because they are like a stepping stone to his ultimate goal, to finding the person who killed his mother. But the other thing that this Joe has an has a opportunity to do is has the opportunity to age both characters. In in both characters, I mean, Ruby at this point is now older than... She was when she was Serena. Serena only made it to 14. Ruby is now like 16. So she is full on back into growing up times. She is no longer like a little bit smarter than everybody. She's at the same goddamn level. Aqua, on the other hand, is not as old as he was when he was Goro. But he is physically in the same realm. So he, when he needs to, can just walk out into the world and be an adult, and it, and that combined with his like, with the natural acting ability that he has, is gives him this talent for impression that is creepy. It's straight up creepy, and the. Show's point here is that and it shows this kind of with I in the very beginning. It's the idea that adulthood is subjective. And the best way it shows that is it shows that through the use of the exec- of the entertainment of the low ranking entertainment executives they deal with. Who are fully willing in a show that Aqua is in for a while, in a dating show that Aqua in a, in a dating reality show that Aqua is part of for in for a while with a bunch of other actors, including the actor that actor I mentioned earlier, Akane. They're willing to explore. They're willing to exploit these teenage actors in ways that are not okay. The 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 arc having to do with the dating show around Akane is this totally fucked up probably incredibly accurate portrayal of what it's like to get not just ratioed on social media but like deeply and meaningfully cyberbullied like pushed to the point where you want to kill yourself cyberbullied and it's excruciating and it's excruciating in a way that truly understands what social media is and what to deal with that shit is and that combined with the fact that they come up with a concept that if you've never heard of it before sounds made up but is actually a real thing ...for their high school environment, you pretty readily... ...you you get this moment where you can understand and... ...you get this moment where the entertainment industry can be continually explained to you in a way that it's not weird. Because the thing they do for the setting of their high school is they basically do what's called a magnet school. They basically create what's called a magnet school for Ruby and Aqua to go to. If you've never heard of what a magnet school is, it's a specialized high school that, A, teaches you normal high school things, and oftentimes, at least in New Jersey, it is also a normal high school. Like There are, there are people who go to normal high school class who have nothing to do with the magnet part of the magnet school in that school. And then there's you, or in my, ca- in my case, it was almost me. I didn't pass the math test, so I didn't get accepted. Um, <laughs> go figure. I, I, The art department in my actual school is actually better than the art department in the magnet school, which was just just glorious schadenfreude. But the magnet schools are built to train to allow teenagers to pursue their career goals that maybe don't match up with the exact academic needs of graduating high school or of graduating high school and getting into college. So in my case, I attempted to go to a magnet school for the visual arts. There are magnet schools for the performing arts, and that's really the thing that you see Aqua and Ruby enter. And also where you meet the kind of one of the two, one of the three points of the main love triangle of the show. Nana, I believe her name is Nana. Not, no. Kana. And you see Kana as an adult. And you see, and in Kana, what you get to see is you get to see a really talented screen actress. In Akane, what you get to see is you get to see a, you get to see an actress who is capable of the same things i was but she's not capable of them in the way that you that that i was it's not um it's not it's not It's not it's not natural. It's something that she teaches herself over massive amounts of research and study of character types and people. So she can stu- she can like dive into a person and she can intuit things about that person and then bring them out in a performance, which is what allows her to act like I in a way that's so convincing that it freaks her own son out. And it... And that's really where the show leaves you, is it leaves you on this... Is it leaves you on this... It leaves you on this... Sorry, I'm getting text messages. It leaves you on this note that you don't that you wouldn't have expected from the from the first episode of the show it leaves you with all with all of these puzzle pieces and this one main mystery of we need to go find I's killer we need to go find you know aqua's mother's killer and you see that he's so driven by that that he might not he he might sacrifice himself to get this done and it it's just a re- it's a really good show. And if you've been resisting watching it because of the time sink of the first episode, what I would recommend you do is maybe cut it into three chunks and watch that watch it that way. Or I woke up one morning at like four or something, and I had the ability to like sit down, and I actually projected it, just straight up watched the thing. Just watched it from end to end. And it, you don't, it doesn't feel like that 90 minutes. You recognize time is passing, it's not so engrossing that that doesn't happen, that that happens, that that doesn't happen, but you, you'll get, like, it's, it was the right decision to go for the 90 minutes. And it, but it was also the right decision to go for the 90 minutes and it, and from what I understand it did play in theaters in Japan. But it was the right decision to go for the 90 minutes and not... and not be... and not be... and not be a thing that was a film first. That was exclusively a film. In the way that, say, a Jujutsu Kaisen Zero was. Which was... which was Jujutsu Kaisen was a good example of that. They never did... They never turned that into a formal show. They just kind of let that movie be. And, like, it's on Crunchyroll. You can watch it chronologically if you want to. Or as it, or as it was released if you want to. But, bad example of that, I would actually say Demon Slayer. Like, I think that the... I think that they fumbled the ball when they did turn the Mugen Train movie into into a mini into a mini season. I don't think it was necessary. I I understand why they did it. They wanted more content out there, but when you read that when you read that arc in the manga, it feels like oh and you see it as a film, you're like oh this should be a film, like this is tight in a way that it that it tells the story better, and that's true of the first episode of Oshinoko. they did it that way because what I imagine would probably what I from what I understand was six months of the manga originally in retrospect feels like a prequel feels like a prequel story and so they kind of treated it like that by making one 90-minute episode, putting it out there for the world, and the world was just like, "Okay, cool," and that that kind of confidence of storytelling and commitment to the bit and the kind of nuances of storytelling and the, along with the informational quality to it and the certainly emotionally abusive quality to it, allows. The show to be really, really good, and and, wor- and worth and your time, even if you believe that High Dive is hot trash. And I, I don't like it. It's a streaming platform. It's not that bad. It's not as bad. It's not as bad as everybody says it is. A and Netflix is worse than everybody thinks it is. B and the reason why I say say that is because so many people love Net- Netflix's user interface. And they, and their response to high dive of faith is just anger. And I'm just, I, I'm sorry to tell you, as a UI designer, as a UI UX designer, somebody who did it as a job for many years, uh, who still does it as a job occasionally, that's not that's not fair or true. <laughs> you are used to Netflix's badness you do not see it anymore you are not used to the quirks of something different and new that is not as pervasive as in in the anime world as netflix is or as or as crunchyroll is although the true worst offender of all the streaming platforms is and always will be hulu that app sucks but on that note If you like this podcast, this one is much longer than they are usually. You can subscribe in whatever you're using to listen to me right now. And you can follow me over on threads at Alex Cohan. Once again, links to everywhere you will follow me, like threads, like YouTube, like Instagram, will be in the description of this episode. They're in the description of most episodes, of all episodes. Well, I'm... Almost a fair amount of them at this point. But Thursday episodes are like this they're about a show or property. Sunday episodes are about the industry or more obscure concept of animation or the fandom. And the Wednesday episodes, the episode in the feed right before this, like the day it, it would have come the day before is a special news program that I've started doing. And it's a weekly news program that covers in stories that I think are important and that we should all pay attention to. Because I think that the news aggregators, the anime news aggregators, sometimes don't do a great job. So I decided to do it myself. And on that note, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. I will talk to you on Thursday. Or Sunday, I'm not sure. But anyway, bye.